Good morning, Bay. And Mobile, we're glad you guys are with us also today. All those online, thank you. Our medical team returned from Honduras yesterday. They had a wonderful trip. Had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with them at the Jungle Hospital, and they had a they just had a great time. And they're back safe. So thanks for your prayers. Also, we spent some time with our campus there. Our campus pastor, our church in Honduras, is just doing phenomenal. We're really excited. They're in the Giant Killer series also, and they're doing small groups and. They're just loving it. So uh, thanks for all you do. Just want to give you an update. We're really, really excited about what's taking place in Honduras. And, and really, our friends and our partners, many of them, every weekend, they're streaming in with us live. So we just give a shout-out. Can we give a big hand of appreciation for all those missionaries and friends in Honduras that are with us? Yeah. Well, if you'd like to turn with me on your device to Luke 12 and Deuteronomy 8, those are the two long passages we'll look at in a few minutes. But we're in a series, this is the sixth part uh, of a series entitled Giant Killers. And if you've missed any, you can go back and pick them up. Uh, What we're doing is we're looking at types and tribes of people groups that were in the land that God promised his people. And these people all have personalities and spirits and types that are still around today. So we've been looking at those and addressing those. There's seven that we're looking at. And we've looked at the Hittites, which represent fear, the Girgashites, double-minded, unstableness, Amorites, pride. And let, let me read from Numbers 13. It'll be on the screen. We'll look at this group today. It's in this text. The people just returned from spying out the land. They're giving their report in verse 27. And so they told him, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And remember what I told you in the first message. Milk and honey represents health and prosperity. And this is is its fruit. They brought back some of its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're walled cities and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That's a group of people that are giants. They're very large. Not all these groups of people are giants, but we're just referring to them in that status because of their spirit. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. We're going to talk about the Canaanites. The Canaanites were probably the most famous group, and and their name comes from, let let me me tell you what it means. It comes from two different words. One word, uh, the first part of the word means to bring low or to put down, kenna. And the, the last part of the name in, in the original language means a peddler or trafficker, which denotes the device brought on by greed. So when you put their name together, it, here's what it means if you brought it fast forward to where we are today. Their name means greed. So how do we deal with greed? And, and I'm sure none of you have ever had to deal with greed before, but just in case you run into somebody that struggles with it, you can help them. Understand that the last step of the path of greed is not what you need to be concerned with. It's the first step on the path to greed. Because greed is an animal. It is. You know, they tell us that one way to to capture a monkey is to take a handful of marbles and put them in a jar and sit it out. And then that monkey will come to that jar and he'll put his hand in it and he'll grab all the marbles in the jar. And he can't get his hand out. If he just take two or three at a time, he could get them out. But he won't do it. Why? Because his nature, his attitude is greedy. He's greedy. Monkeys are greedy. <laughs> oh, I could have fun with that, but I won't. Um, <clears throat> especially those people in Mobile. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, opposite, the opposite of a greedy attitude is an attitude of gratitude. 
An attitude is the way we think. And the way we think actually releases things in our lives, and the way we think actually restricts things in our lives. So our thinking is important. So it's very important that we have an attitude of gratitude. And we try to instill this in our children. You you remember where you think, well, they're not appreciative of this and that. And so we make up stories, or we exaggerate stories. Well, when I was your age, I had to walk to school in the cold, uphill both ways. My dad had to fight off a mountain lion with his loose-leaf notebook on the way to school, you know. We, we just try to instill all of this gratitude. And even at Christmas, I don't know if you ever had this one. I had this one applied to me because there for several years, there were four boys, and it seemed like we all got the same gift every year. But they would tell us, oh, I remember one Christmas where all we received was a pair of underwear, and you're getting a pair of underwear and a pair of socks, so be grateful. So you know how we are as, as parents sometimes. But what is the opposite of greed? Well, it's giving. But when you give to someone, you receive one or two responses. One, you receive either an attitude of gratitude or there's another response that I'm going to get into. But the other response, it, it's there because possessions reveal hearts. Possessions reveal hearts. Uh, Jerry and I, my wife and I, uh, we've given stuff away, like many of you have, you know, money and furniture and vehicles and land. And, and, but there have been times that we've given to people and they make the indication they're not satisfied with a gift. And people are like, are you kidding? No, I, I'm going to explain why they do that. You know, it's like, well, this isn't enough cash to pay off all my bills. Or this vehicle has 90,000 miles on it. And, 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 and it's real. We've noticed that when giving... When, when some, something to someone, they're either grateful or they want more or they're not satisfied or they want something different. We've noticed as a church, and listen, as a church, we love to give. We're a giving church. That the majority of people we give to are grateful, but there are a few you just can't do enough for. They're never satisfied. And and so we have guidelines and what we do and how we do it, and then they still try to bypass the guidelines and get to me and all that. Well, I kind of established the guidelines because I learned this in the beginnings of the church because I know the nature of people. So the two responses to giving is an attitude of gratitude or it's an attitude of greed. Now, I want to show you this in the Scriptures in Luke 12. And and here's Jesus in a crowd. Here's a guy comes up to him in verse 13 and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, look at verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Your life doesn't consist of in the abundance of the things that you possess. So covetousness is the root of greed. A lot of times when we look at things like this, we, we forget about a root. All of, these spirit, all of these things have a root to them. So the root of covetousness is greed. And here's what that means, covetousness. It means when you want what others have because you think you deserve it more. And I know this doesn't apply to any of you. You've never had this problem, but you can pass this on to somebody. Then Jesus goes into a parable in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll put down my barns. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build greater barns and store up my crops and my goods. So far, there's no problem. He's not done anything wrong. 
Verse 19, then I will say to my soul, soul, he's talking to himself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. So why don't you take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry? Now he's thinking only of himself. And God said to him, hey, you're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you, and, when those, and then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who's laid up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. It's okay to store up. It's okay. Uh, the Proverbs tells us to have savings and retirement. It's okay. But in doing all of this, you still need to be generous toward God. So here's what I want to show you. I want to show you some things about an attitude of gratitude, okay? Now, this message is really deep. I hope you can keep up. Here's the first point. Stuff is just stuff. <laughs> stuff is just stuff. God did not have a problem with this guy in the parable with his stuff. God doesn't mind you have stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. It's the way you think about the stuff that bothers God. The guy said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I've heard people teach about bigging building bigger barns and all of this stuff. God doesn't have a problem with barns. It's not barns. It's how we think about the stuff we have. Proverbs says, watch what Proverbs says, 3 and 9. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions, with your stuff. Honor the Lord with your stuff, with the first fruit of all your increase. That's tithe. That should make you feel uncomfortable. That usually does when I talk about tithe. and, and, And then he says, verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In the parable, it wasn't the barns he had a problem with, but the way he thought about the stuff in the barns. And here's what we do. Here's what a lot of Christians do. They even relate God's blessings to stuff. That's how we measure it out. We look at someone who has a lot of stuff and we say, God's really blessed them. Stuff is just stuff. And a person who has more stuff than someone else it's not more blessed than someone else's stuff. It's just stuff. But we tend to relate it that way. I'm, I'm telling you, the way you think about stuff will determine whether you walk out a life of greed or gratitude. So stuff is just stuff. Here, here's the second part is stuff is just a test. God will actually give you stuff sometimes to see how you respond. What are you going to do with this stuff? God's not only concerned about how you think about your stuff, but he's concerned about how you think about other people's stuff. And one of the Ten Commandments, one has to do completely with how you think about the other person's stuff. Deuteronomy 5.21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his oxen, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So how we think about stuff determines whether we have a heart of gratitude or not. Now, let me show you this. In the Greek, the word for covet, for covet, is the word opithemeo. It's covet. The word for lust is opithemea. And, and, and the root word of that is opithemei. It means this. It means to set your heart on something that's not yours. So that's what covet means and what lust does. Coveting is lust. Now, you can see why it bothers God so much because something has your heart. What has your heart? Stuff. Here's the difference, though. Listen, because this is, I want to establish this through this message. The difference in greed and gratitude, here it is, as simple as it can be. Greed looks to people to meet your needs, and gratitude looks to God to meet your needs. That's why you will find someone that you may give to, you feel like you're supposed to, and and you're not getting a grateful response because that person is not looking to God. They're looking to you. But when you get this greedy response, the person, you're, you know, the Lord may lay it on your heart, but you're, 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 they're, they're, not, they're not looking to God. They're looking to you, to a person. Greed always looks to a person, 
And that's why greed gets upset when it's not enough or they get upset when they say no. I've had people come to me and they say, well, I got so upset with so-and-so because they're a godly person. They have a lot of money. And I went to them and asked them if they would help me. And they went and prayed and come back and said they didn't feel led to do that. And they got upset. Here's why the person got upset is because they're looking at people and they have a heart of greed. It's okay if we talk plain here, right? It's okay that we call it like it is because that's what it is. So, so hear me. Please hear me. If you continue to look to people to meet your needs, you'll always be disappointed. And secondly, if you continue to look to people to meet your needs, you will never live in gratitude. And here's why. God never provides supernaturally when you look to people. God only provides supernaturally when you look to him. Are you, are you with me? Now, now let me get on a little, let me, let me get on some real thin ice. Even when you look and depend on the church to meet your needs, that is not looking to God, you're looking to people. The church is made up of people. And so here's what happens. It happens a lot. People come to church and they have a need and they're part of the church, they're coming and they come and they expect the church you know, to, to pay all their house payments, to, to pay all their in, insurance, to pay all this. And, and all, I'm just, you know, they, they, they expect that. You see, the church is not your source. Well, that didn't go over well at all. Uh, God is your source. The church is here to meet your need. If there's a crisis, if there's something that comes up, yes, yes but not ongoing. And a lot of people struggle with this. When we continue to look to people, even we continue to look at the church, it's the wrong attitude and stuff becomes a test of where we're going to look for our provision. That's the test. So here's the third point, passing the stuff test. Stuff is just stuff. The test is how we think about stuff, my stuff or your stuff. Let's talk about passing this test. Now, I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to read a long story. Don't disconnect. Stay with me. I'm going to insert some of this so you can see it. He's talking to the people who came out of Egypt. Moses is leading them. They're in the wilderness, and he's talking to them in verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Here's what he's saying to us. Every believer, you have a promised land. Now, I'm not talking about a physical piece of land necessarily. But you have promises that God has for you to possess. Verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. He's been patient with them. 40 years, they're going in a circle. And now he's going to show them two reasons why they stayed in the wilderness. And by the way, look at me, by the way, you determine how long you stay in a wilderness. But he's going to show them why they stayed there. And here's what he said, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. So what did he do to these two million people, say? He humbled you, verse 3, allowed you to hunger. Remember, they got hunger and they're fussing and complaining, not like people today, but they were fussing and complaining then, back then, those old days. I fed you with manna, which you did not know. Your fathers didn't know. In other words, it's manna. Manna means what is it? Nobody had ever seen it before. What is that? Well, it's food. Let's eat it. So he fed them that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone. I think I remember Jesus saying that when he's tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. And your garments did not wear out on you. That's why the lady 
ladies were so upset they had to wear the same garment for 40 years. Your foot did not swell for these 40 years. I could appreciate that because I travel so much that, boom, the ankles blow up. And so, you know, hey, okay, it wouldn't have swelling ankles and all that. Verse 5, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you should keep his commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fearing. So he's giving these instructions. Now watch, the next four verses, he's talking about the land, specifically about the land. And then verse 11, that's where I want to go. Watch what he says in verse 11. 11, beware that you do not forget. Now remember, forget. Remember, forget. He said, do not forget. So remember, forget. The Lord your God, don't, don't forget, by keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, you're satisfied, you built beautiful houses and dwell in them when your herds and your livestock are multiplying, your silver and your gold are multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, don't forget. When your heart is lifted up and you forget, see, that's the key, you're, you're forgetting, don't forget. The Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget the Lord your God brought you out of bondage, brought you out of sin. He saved your soul. Don't forget he's promised you heaven. Don't forget that you've been, you're, you're free from the house of bondage who led you through this great terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought, you, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manners, which your father did not know. And then, and then here, here's what he says, that he might humble you and that he might test you and that he might do you good in the end and then say in your heart, don't forget. Don't forget what? Watch. My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. What you have in your hand, don't forget that his power allowed you to do it. And then verse 18, we've all heard it but we haven't connected it like this. Watch. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get well, that me he may establish his covenant, which we swore to his fathers, as is this day. That's God's plan. Don't forget it. Now, watch this. Here's what feeds greed. Every spirit is fed by something. And it's another spirit. Something is feeding it. So what feeds greed? Here's what feeds greed, and it's constantly talking to us. It's either pride or poverty. That's what feeds it. Pride is trying to get you to think more of your stuff than you should, and poverty is trying to get you to feel guilty about stuff. Both are wrong. Why? Because both focus on stuff. Remember, God's not upset with the stuff. He doesn't want stuff to have you. Someone pulls up beside you. You're, you're in your ride, and somebody pulls up beside you in a less expensive, older vehicle, and pride looks over and thinks, I'll probably make more money than he does. Someone pulls up beside you at an intersection in a more expensive car, and you're driving your older car, and poverty says, that's such a waste. That guy's probably not a good steward. I'm telling you, that, that, that speaks that way both sides. It does. The, watch, the focus is always on stuff, either my stuff or your stuff. And then it's comparing your stuff to my stuff or my stuff to your stuff. So the focus is on stuff, greed, poverty. Stuff is just stuff. Stuff is a test. How I think about my stuff, how I think about your stuff determines whether I walk in gratitude. I promise you, I have seen rich people who have spirits of pride and poverty. And both work at the same, talk to them at the same time. I've seen poor people who have the spirit of pride and poverty, and the spirits are talking to both of them at the same time. 
They're proud of their stuff. They don't want to lose their stuff. Pride says, hey, that stuff comes from ourselves. This is the lie of pride. That, 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 it, it's masked with, I worked hard for that. It comes from my hard work. L- listen, you, you can plow the field all day and plant all you want to, but until the rain comes, you're not getting the crop. So what am I saying? God wants us to work hard. He does. But listen, we have to look to him for the increase, for the provision, for the wealth. So the spirit of pride says it comes from my hard work and my abilities and my talents. Spirit of poverty says, oh, it's evil, it's bad, it comes from the devil. That, that's what the spirit of poverty says. And you, sh- you shouldn't have anything. My, my, my dad pastored back in, in a long time ago, 60-something years, and, you know, he, he couldn't drive but a certain kind of car and do this and dress a certain way and do this. Why? Because the church looked at that as, oh, wow, that's excessive. He's going to be a man of pride and all that. It, it, it's, all, it, it's all wrong. Here, here's my point. The focus is still on stuff, not on God. The spirit of pride wants people to think we paid more than what we did for something sometimes. You ever exaggerated? Sure you have. Yeah, you have. Spirit of poverty tries to get you to think, to get people to think you didn't pay as much. How much you pay for that car? You just bought the car for 39500 How much you pay for that car? And pride would say, well, you know, they're in the 40s and some of them are in the, in the 50s. How much you pay for that car? And the spirit of poverty will tell you, well, you know, they're in the 30s. Why do you want to make someone think you paid more? You paid less. Because the, with greed, the focus is always on stuff. Oh, you have such a nice house. So what? Well, you know, well, the kids are gone now. We really could have built a larger one, but the kids are gone. So, so what you're saying is, you know, I, I could have had a bigger house, but, you know, the kids are gone. And that's what pride says. Oh, you have such a nice house. Poverty says it was a foreclosure. Got a steal on it. I don't want you to think I paid a lot of money for this. So that's what pride says, what poverty says. Here's what gratitude says. Thank you. Nice house. Thank you. Nice car. Thank you. See, listen, listen, what what I'm fixing to say in the next couple minutes, you really need to get a hold of. You don't have to justify your purchases to anyone except your spouse and God. (laughs) If you're a man of wisdom in that order... (laughs) Okay, don't go get something and come back and say, God said it was okay, (laughs) because you are in trouble. (laughs) Okay, your spouse and then God. But watch, if God, here's how you know, if God is okay with it, if God's okay with it, then it's because you're a generous person and you tithe, you live below your means, you're a good steward, God's okay with it, it's just stuff, it's stuff to him. If you live below your means, you tithe, you're a generous person and a good steward. Listen, God's going to bless you. Watch. And you're going to get more stuff. I know people struggle with that. But when you get more stuff, you still have to be a generous person, tithe, live below your means and be a good steward. It's the way it works. I, I love the story of the guy who came to the pastor and said, please pray for me. I wish I could say it happened to me. It didn't happen to me. Please pray for me. And the pastor said, why? Well, I used to make $500 a week and I tithed $50 a week. I now make $5,000 a week and it's hard to tithe $500. Will you pray for me? And the pastor took his hand and said, yes. And he said, Lord, please let this man make $500 a week again so he can tithe. When God blesses you, you still do the things that got you there. And, if, and watch, if pride is there and more stuff comes, you won't do that. 
But if it's a heart of gratitude and you're generous and you're tithing, you're, listen, stuff's not going to bind you up because you know where it came from. You're grateful and you just keep going. So, so, you know, someone to say, well, that's such a nice outfit. Pride says, well, it's, it's tailor-made. It's one of a kind. That's such a nice outfit. Poverty says, well, it was half price and I got an extra 40% off. And there's no more on the rack, so nobody else has one. Poverty. Gratitude says, thank you. Thank you so much. See, pride always compares itself to others. Poverty always compares itself to others. Gratitude always compares itself to God. That's the difference. Gratitude. Look at what I've done for God, which is basically nothing. And look at what God has done for me, which is everything. And gratitude says, thank you, God. Don't allow this giant to attack. Don't allow pride and poverty to feed greed. Be grateful, be generous, be a good steward. Now, here's the story that happened within the story of these people going into the promised land. Remember I told you Moses didn't get to go in. Told you that last weekend. So Joshua takes the people in. There are all these cities, and the first city they're going to conquer is a city called Jericho. You know the story. You know, they, they marched around it and, and one time a day, and then on the seventh day, they, seven times the walls fell down. It was wonderful, and it was a victory. But God told Joshua up front, he said, listen, all the cities you're going to conquer, all the gold and silver, all the money, all the resources in the city are yours except this first one. The first city is my tithe. So don't take the gold and the silver out of the city. Leave it in Jericho. It's mine. Well, they took the city. Next week, Joshua's going to the next city. It's a little bitty place called Ai. And he gets there, and he only takes 3,000 men because it's just a little hole in the wall, and they lose the battle, and 36, 36 men die. They run for their lives. Joshua gets back home, and he says, God, what, I'm desperate. What happened? We're not victorious. Why didn't you fight for us today? And here's what God said. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what God said. Someone has stolen from me and therefore brought a curse into our house by stealing the tithe. Well, that's a whole sermon right there. Could you imagine what God's house could do if people didn't steal the tithe? Now, I know I'm going to talk about tithe. I'm going to make some of you mad. But if somebody's getting mad over this, that means you got some greed knocking on your door. Oh, my goodness. He didn't just say that. Yes, I did. <laughs> I love how Joshua found out. You know how he found out? It wasn't some little nosy somebody coming up saying, well, blah, 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 blah. No, he didn't do that. He called all of the leaders of the 12 tribes in. He called all the leaders of every home, every family to come in. And he brought all of these people in. And here's what he said to these people. He said, give glory to God. Worship. Worship? Yeah. The sin would be revealed in their worship. Why? because the heart was hard and not soft because it was greed and not gratitude. The guy's name is Achan. He was greedy. He stole from God, so his worship became stale and dead, had no life in it. So Joshua's watching these guys worship, and he points it out. There's Achan. There's no worship. There's no life. Guess what happened? Achan and his family and some other people ceased to exist that day. They're, they're destroyed. No more future with God, no more promised land. And the items that they stole were returned to the middle of Jericho. The next day, Joshua takes the troops, goes back to Ai, and wins the battle. Here's why I told you that story. Listen, victorious Christians, listen to me, victorious Christians have money because they love blessed money. In other words, you see 
You see, the cure for greed is giving. It's impossible to give yourself into greed. Blessed money is, is any money that has been tithed, given back to the Lord. Brought, actually, the scripture never says, it says bring it to the Lord. Return it to the Lord. The 10% is bring it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Here's the danger of greed. Listen, the danger of greed is idolatry. Bottom line. What would cause a man in his backyard that had one tree to go out and chop a tree down with his axe and take it and use it for firewood or build something out of it and then go to the stump of that tree, use his knife and use his chisel and form something out of wood that he calls a God that he can touch and he can see and place it in his house and says, you're my God. And you're saying, well, pastor, we're in a Western society and, and we, wouldn't, we don't do things like that. We pride ourselves in shunning this type of idolatry. Well, we have just invented other forms of idolatry. Here's the purpose of idolatry. The purpose of idolatry is it is the need to hold an object in your hand, to place it, your faith in something in your hand, something you can touch, something that brings gratification, something that brings security, and it doesn't matter that you've just put your faith in a lie. It happens every week in churches Many, the most, put their faith in their ability to hold their money in their hands, in their bank, in their savings, in their securities, in their stuff. And so they keep it and put their trust in their plans and abilities to make and manage the money. And the smaller percentage put their faith in God and release the tithe and wait for him to fulfill the promises of blessing. The lack of faith to trust God with the first 10% is idolatry. <clears throat> Think about it. Because I'm going to say it again. The lack of faith to trust God with the first 10% is idolatry. And I know, I get all kind of kickbacks well, that's just Old Testament. That's this. Well, you didn't read what Jesus said in the Gospels about tithing, did you? And besides all of that, it works. I've been doing it all my life. It's work. It's the principle. It works. God created it. It works. And, and listen, the items that Achan stole that, that, that became the object of his faith and worship, they're returned. But while he had them, his purpose for living was for more, and it carried out false hope. He put it in something he had stolen. When you put your faith in something that is not yours, you have false hope. Are, are y'all still breathing? The prophet Haggai said this in chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much and you bring in little. I was talking about people that are not tithing. You eat, but you're not, you're, you, you don't have enough. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You, you drink, but you're still thirsty. You're not filled. You clothe yourself, but you're not warm. You're still cold. Yeah, and he who earns wages, you earn wages and put it in a bag with holes in it. If you're not tithing, it's like you put, it's like you've got holes in your money bag and the enemy steals from you because he has access to your finances because you're not tithing. Why? Because our monetary system has a curse on it. It's called the spirit of mammon. And the only way to get that spirit off your money is to take the first 10 and bring it to the Lord. He blesses the rest, the 90 and the 90 will do more than the hundred because it's blessed. 
and I'm not walking around with my house under a curse because I'm trying to put my hands on what's my idol and what I can manipulate and I can do because I don't have the faith to trust God. So we need to get rid of the, the bags with the holes in them. So what do we do with this evil giant called greed? Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Now, now watch. It's the New Testament, but watch what you see. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not filling. They just refused. I'm not going to remember what God did. I, I'm, I'm opposed to God. I'm just not going to do it. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, that's greed, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers. Why is greed put in this list of unrighteousness? Listen to me, please. Greed leads to the unrestrained pursuit of wealth and prosperity. That's what, that, see, people have problems with well, it's the land flowing with milk and honey, it's health and prosperity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But greed is going to lead you to the unrestrained pursuit of wealth and prosperity. And that always leads to a host of manifold and destructive evils. Why? Because prosperity and greed are a lethal combination. It's, it's not good. Greed's secret is this. It lures you into thinking, you're not in trouble. You're still in control. You're still in touch. Work your God. Another credit card. Refi. Another bank loan. Do this. Greed is infectious. Why? It says you can make it alone. You don't need God. That's old school. That's old stuff. You, you, can, you can do your way. You're responsible for your money. And you know the more you have, the more secure you are. You don't need God. You, you have a mind of your own. That's just a church thing. That's just a pastor thing. That's this, this, and this. So many are focused by greed. This is mine. It belongs to me. It's my rights, my privileges. And, and, and you live life without an attitude of gratitude. When you live life without an attitude of gratitude, you begin to see blessings as an end in themselves. Blessings from God are not an end in themselves. They are an end to a means. Prosperity is not an end in itself. True prosperity doesn't come and stop at me. Proof True prosperity comes through me. It, it flows through me. And listen, the church in America, it's not the only church that's had problems with this. In the New Testament, Jesus addressed churches in the book of Revelation. And one of those churches, he writes a scorching in-your-face letter to the church at Laodicea. And, 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 and basically, he just calls them out because he says, you have need of nothing. And, and, and you say you're rich, you have need of nothing. And, and, and so he calls them out. Is he upset because they're blessed? No, he blessed them. He's not upset. What's he upset about? He's upset because they have forgotten why they're so blessed. They have forgotten. You know, and God says, you just need to repent. I still love you. You've got all the blessing, but you don't know why you have the blessing. It's all for you because of an attitude of greed, not an attitude of gratitude. Listen, we need an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because we have future generations that need to continue the gospel and the message. We have nations who, who need to find God. And God is saying, if you won't fulfill the promises I've given you, walk in the promised land that I've given you, I'll give it to somebody else. Why? Because God's plan cannot fail. And, and just a side note, and I hope this doesn't rain on your parade, but just to let you know, last time I checked, 
uh, the death rate is 10 out of 10. Nobody gets out alive. You're going to die. You only get to die once. Don't waste it. Most of the church in America is all dressed up and blessed with resources and it's unbelievable and it's good and all that, but they don't know why. Why are we so blessed in America? Why are we so trusted with so much? Why do we have so much prosperity coming to us? Why is there so much word and Bible? Te- and listen, we've sent out more than the history of any nation, the gospel going out. But I'll just give you one reason for you today. Because about 40,000 people every day in our world die that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about the ones who have refused. You say, well, I don't need a prosperity message. I'm doing all right. What about the thousands in our communities that are going through struggles, health struggles, addictions, problems? What about all these people? What about for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? What good is his gospel if it's not being delivered? It has to be delivered. Your family, your community, your neighbor, people groups, countries. It's not enough to love the, for God to love the world. We have to love the world with him. And listen, I hope this makes sense to you, but I, I, I love this. I, I say, God, thank you that I'm on this side of your mission. What's this side? What does that mean? I'm on the giving side of your mission. Let me say this, and I'm finished. Know this. Remember this. All riches... Riches, they, they always come to an end. They do. May not be in your lifetime, but the rich, riches all come to an end. But God's grace is unending. And God's mercy endure forever. So here's what I'm saying. As you've listened to this message, if you realize that you have a hard heart, ask him to soften it. Ask him to make it pliable. Ask him to give you, make you humble and ready to obey. Ask him to give you whatever you need to do the right thing in an evil day. I'm telling you, when you do the right thing in an evil day, your God is a God of promises. I said this last year in the summer. In the summer, I did a series uh, called In the Zone. If you, if, if you really want to hear stuff that makes you mad about money and giving, get that series and listen to it because it will. It'll fire you up just a little bit. But I, but I said this. You, you tithe one year, and if you're not completely satisfied and you're, you can look at me and say, I'm not blessed, we'll give you money back. Well, that sounds like arrogance. No, I just, I put all my trust in God. I know it works. It always works. It's always worked. It's always worked. So yeah, I could tell you 25%, 26% of the people that attend our church tithe on a regular basis. But what about the other 70, 75%? What could we do? And I look at what we're doing in Honduras, what we do in in Asia, what we do in all these countries. I'm thinking, man, what could we do here? What could we do reaching more people, more people, more people? We just need our hearts to be pliable. And I'm telling you, when you're asking God to make your heart pliable, he's going to make it pliable and molded after the things that touch his heart. You know what touches his heart? Those 40,000 people that die every day never heard his name, never had an opportunity to receive Jesus. What, what, what breaks his heart are the people that are dying in sin, people that have lost, people that don't know Christ, people that are suffering and need healing, people that need deliverance, people that need freedom from addiction, all of those things. They're all there over and over and over and over again. And we're supposed to be part of that. I love the side of the mission that we're on. I'm so glad I'm not on the other side. I'm so glad I'm on this side, on the giving side. You say, well, you seem to be excited about giving. Oh, yeah. You need to be. You need to be. You don't need to be ho-hum and stingy and a tightwad. 
Is God stingy in a tight one? I don't think so. And when I have an attitude of gratitude, it just comes out. I, I can't, I don't even have to think about it. It just naturally comes out when I see people and hear people. And, and you know, I, mm, I got to say this, and I know I'm so out of time. This week, I was in, we were in Honduras, and we're building a church in one of the worst, most dangerous places in that city. We've been working on it now for almost a year and a half, Pastor Oscar's church, and crime and murder and all that stuff going on. And he, and he told me the other day, he said, there hasn't been any of this for four or five months and this and that and the other, and here they are building church. And all the people working on the church are members of the church, and you know what they get paid? They get one meal, and it's hot. And here we are standing there. We sent some guys to get us some water. And I look up at those guys hanging on that iron 40 feet in the air and welding. And it just, I didn't think of it. I just said, man, those guys need a Coke. I sent some guys to go get them a Coke. I climb up this ladder, take these guys. Well, actually, it was a Mountain Dew, more caffeine. I took, them, I took it up the ladder. And, and the guys on the ground, I give them all these drinks. You would have thought I was Santa Claus. It was like they all in awe. I just gave them a Coke. I just gave them something to drink. My heart went out to them. What am I telling you? I'm telling you as a church, we have to have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because time is short and hell is hot and we got a lot to do. <laughs> Father, thank you for your promises. And thank you. You are the one who gives us power to get well. Stuff. But when our heart is full of gratitude we know stuff is just stuff and we know the bottom line is about building your kingdom and we want to be part of enlarging the kingdom of god before you return thank you for the privilege in jesus name and the church said amen god bless you